We've talked about the fact that James is really going after God in such a radical way that when he writes this book of James, he's calling us to a radical faith, a radical walk with God. And tonight, as I shared with you last week, uh, I just believe that God spoke to me more through this message than any other in the book of James. And probably because it hits me, it, it, it's talking about a radical satisfaction, a radical gratification found in God and in nothing or no one else. Uh, in fact, before we get into James chapter 4 tonight, I just want you to put your ears on and listen to a few verses that I want to share with you right up front tonight. First one is from the book of Proverbs, and I'll read them just a couple times and give you the reference in case you want to write these down. The first one says this, Fearing the Lord, and the word fear in the Bible simply means to reverence or respect. Fearing the Lord leads to life, and one who does so will live satisfied. Proverbs 19.23, Fearing the Lord leads to life, and one who does so will live satisfied. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Matthew 5, verse 6. In my translation, the net Bible that I use, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I love that translation. Uh, It says other places, I shall not want. Then Proverbs 10, verse 3, The Lord satisfies the appetite of the righteous, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. The Lord satisfies the appetite of the righteous, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked, Proverbs 10.3. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, The one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Ecclesiastes 5.10, The one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with with his income. Again, James here in this passage, James chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 is talking to us about a radical satisfaction, a radical gratification. We all know in this world that many times as human beings, we live waiting for that next thing to come over the horizon. It's going to bring satisfaction, fulfillment, and gratification to our lives. In fact, we learn that very young. I can remember back in elementary school, back in the <clears throat> 60s, that, uh, that uh, you know, when we were in elementary school, this group that, that I went through school with, you know, when we got there... We couldn't wait to start talking about getting to junior high and middle school. And then we got to junior high and middle school, and then we started talking about, oh, can't wait till we get to high school. And and then we got to high school, and then it was, I can't wait till I get my driver's license and drive. And then soon after that, it was, I can't wait till I graduate from high school. And then I can't wait till I go to college, and can't wait till I get married, can't wait till I have children, can't wait till I buy my home, can't wait till I buy a car. Can't wait till I get this job I want. Can't wait till I pay this off. Can't wait till I go there. Then you, you live all your life and then you hear people, I, I can't wait till I retire as if they've lived all their life. And finally at the end somehow there's going to be that, that satisfaction and fulfillment and gratification. And then you talk to people who've retired and it's like, no, nah, that ain't it either. I guess I got to just keep going. And, and human beings are conditioned to live all their lives. Just, well, it's that next thing out there. Here's the thing for us tonight. 
we don't have to wait for the next thing. If you have Jesus Christ, you already have everything you need in life. Listen to what James says. Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? James chapter 4 verse 1. Is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility toward God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you think the scripture means nothing when it says the spirit that God caused to live within us has an envious yearning, but he gives greater grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now as we unpack this passage tonight, let's remember the context of what we've been talking about. We've been talking about conflicts. And interpersonal relationships and all of that. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the tongue and our speech and how if we speak, you know, correctly and speak with the wisdom of God, how we can sometimes prevent those things from happening and in a sense save ourselves from conflict and strife and division and all of that. And we can bring peace and harmony in our relationships. There's another thing that James is telling us in this passage is that many times... The outward conflicts that you and I are facing in our life many times have internal reasons. In other words, the outward conflicts are born out of the internal conflicts that's going on deep within my own soul and my own being. That's what he means in chapter 4 verse 1. He says outward conflicts are born out of internal conflicts because We are battling within ourselves due to our own passions and desires that are battling, James says, inside of us. You see, when I become a Christian, the Bible clearly teaches me that I receive the Holy Spirit. I get the new nature that God implants in me, but I also have the old nature. I also have the old flesh. And therefore, there is this battle that takes place within every Christian The flesh wants to do its own thing. The the desires of our old nature wants to go this way when God and His Spirit and His Word is pulling us and wanting to prompt us to go in an opposite direction. And we have this internal conflict that, that continually can stir things up inside of us. Yes, the presence of the old nature is there. But one thing I want us to remember tonight is through Christ... That old nature has been dethroned. It is still present in our lives as Christians. But before I became a Christian, I really didn't have a power that that could overcome that in my life. But through Christ, I've been given a power greater than the old self, greater than the old nature, greater than the pull of the flesh, and all of that. In fact, Keep your finger there in James chapter 4, and let's look at this for a moment, because these are exciting verses. Go back to the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and look at verse 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Notice Paul says, we know. 
that our old man, just another way of saying the flesh, the old nature was crucified with Him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us. See, before we came to Christ, not only did we need forgiveness of sin and freedom of guilt and freedom from shame when we met Christ, but we needed a power infused in us by God that would allow us to overcome the domination of the flesh. And the Bible says when we come to Christ... That part of that is that even though the old man is still there, the old nature is still there, all the desires of the flesh are still there, that God says the power that now I've given you will uh, require that, that it does not dominate you any longer, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we should no longer be slaves to sin. In fact, go up to verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. That's why he can tell Christians, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, its lusts, its passions. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under the law but under grace. Wow. You see, even though that battle, James says, can take place, The battle will only dominate me and intensify and paralyze my life and take over my life if I continue to give in to the flesh. And every time I give in to the flesh, it's only going to inflame those desires and lusts and passions even more. But through the power of Jesus Christ and through that old nature being dethroned, I can say yes to Jesus and no to that temptation. I can say no to the flesh. And when I begin to do that, when I begin to do that, it, it, it switches, it, it shifts from the flesh having mastery over me to the Spirit of God having mastery over me. Now, again, not perfection, not sinlessness, but I will begin to see a gradual progression in my life as I grow, as I mature, as I get into the Word of God, as I allow the Spirit of God to work inside of me. That's what this is all about, Bible studies like this. So as we come together and we grow together as Christians, we not only find out that we don't have to give in anymore, but as we begin to say no and we begin to say yes to God, it has less and less of a pull on me And the Spirit of God begins to really take over. So James, back to James chapter 4 verse 1, says, Yeah, these conflicts are going to come. And these quarrels that even you have with others are going to come, but you realize that many times they're coming because I'm not at peace with myself. That, That the reason why sometimes I bite another person's head off is not really because They've done anything. They just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time because I'm dealing with some things myself and I, they're not settled yet. And I'm all upside down and I'm, I'm all twisted spiritually. And, and I'm really, there's really a battle going on inside of me. And James says the, the, the best way to calm that down is to settle that battle right now by beginning to yield yourself to the Spirit of God. And to the word of God in your life. Now, 
I want to point this out. God is obviously not against us being passionless. If that be true, I'd be in trouble. God wants us to be very passionate. He, he wants to use our desires and, and all of those emotions and stuff. But He always wants us to keep all of our passions and emotions and desires under the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit. That's all. God created us with these passions and desires. God simply is saying, I don't want you, when you come to Christ and you begin to grow, to somehow feel like you've got to get rid of your desires and passions. You and I just need our passions and desires redirected, or we need to keep them constantly and continually under the control of God Himself. And when we do that, we begin to see that these internal battles that that used to just churn us up and then sometimes cause other conflicts in our life will begin to simmer down a little bit so that we don't have those battles going on quite as intensely as we used to. Notice, in fact, back in James chapter 4, verse 2, that he says, Yielding to sin does not get us what we thought it would anyway. When he says, you desire and you do not have, you murder, envy, pretty strong words, and you cannot obtain, you quarrel and fight, and we keep going after what we think is going to be there at the end of that rainbow to satisfy us and fulfill us and to gratify us, but the things of this world never will do so. And Satan is that great liar that promises us that if, if you just go after that, if you just take that, if, 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 if you just get this in your life, that's what you were looking for. And when we move away from Christ being our satisfaction and we move to something else, we find out that all that was promised in that never delivered. I mean, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis where Satan first arrived on the scene and tempted Adam and Eve. And it was like, Eve and Adam, if you just partake of this fruit, God is holding out on you. You know, if you just partake of this fruit, man, this this is what it's all about. That, That You just partake and you'll have it. And they realized once they partook of it, wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Probably everyone in here could give testimony to the fact that there's at least been one time in our life where we, we took the bait. We, we, there was that hook and there was that bait and, and boy, it looked really good. And just like that fish, we grabbed a hold of that bait and we were just taken by it. Because once we got what we really thought we wanted and what we had to have, there was no lasting satisfaction or gratification in it at all. So a lack of gratification not only leads to conflict, but according to James in verse 2, it leads to frustration. Frustrated people who are living their lives saying, man, I just can't seem to figure life out. I can't seem to to get to, to my pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I can't seem to find what really satisfies and fulfills so that I, I somehow fill that void that keeps longing down deep in my soul. First of all, notice also in verse 2 that James says our prayer life or lack thereof reveals our focus. In fact, he says in verse 2, the correct way for Christians to have their legitimate needs met is by asking God. When he says at the end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. 
And James is simply saying, look, if it's a legitimate need, if it's something that truly I need this God, then why should we not go to God, the one who has promised to meet our needs? Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Philippians 4.19. So if, if God is truly the one that I'm looking to, to meet my need, and I feel like I have a need, then shouldn't I be praying about it and asking God for it rather than going outside of God and trying to meet that need in some other way? And so James is simply saying, if you have determined that that really is a need, that that's really something that you need, then why don't you ask God for it? And if it's truly something that you do need, then obviously we have to get to the point in our walk with Him where we believe that God would never hold out on us, and if it's something that's truly going to spiritually benefit me, He will give it to me if I ask. But He wants me to come to Him to meet those needs. So that I'm not living independent of God, but I'm living dependently upon my God. Finding all that I need, again, in Him and not outside of Him. And then James goes on to say in verse 3, sometimes we even get to the point where if we do pray, we pray selfishly. And then wonder why God isn't answering our selfish prayers when he says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. And the word passions or lust there in the English translation is the word where we get the word hedonism from. Just, it's all about me. It's all about what I want and lover of pleasure is, Second Timothy says, rather than a lover of God. A hedonistic lifestyle. And God will not give to us that which is not spiritually beneficial. I don't care how many times we ask God, it would be against the very nature of God to give one of his children something that's going to turn their life upside down. That doesn't mean we don't get those things that turn our lives upside down. But they didn't come from God because James told us in James chapter 1 that every good and every perfect gift comes from God. And God's not going to give his children anything that's not spiritually beneficial, anything more than a good parent is going to go ahead and give their child something that's going to blow up their life. We would never do that to our children, at least knowingly, consciously. Well, if God's our heavenly father, is he going to give you something in your life that's just going to totally wreck your life and then sit back and go, well, you asked for it, so I just gave it to you. No, his answer is going to be no. Then it's up to us whether we are spiritually in a place where we're willing to accept that answer or not. And maybe realize, you know what, that was all about me. God, that was a selfish request. I'm going to stop asking for things selfishly. That's why in verse 4, James used very strong language. He uses the word adulterer. And he's using that because he's come to realize what we realize, that sometimes even as Christians, we believe that our needs can be met outside of God himself. Therefore, notice the argument or or the progression, that I should say, that he's building here. A lack of gratification leads to argumentation or conflict, frustration, and then also substitution. 
we try to find our satisfaction from the world rather than in God himself. In fact, keep your finger there in the book of James and go back to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. Here's a great passage of scripture. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah is a pretty big book, so if you just leaf through the Old Testament, you should be able to find it. Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm going to begin at verse 11. The prophet writes, Has a nation ever changed its gods, even though they are not really gods at all? But my people have exchanged me, their glorious God, for a God that cannot help them at all. Be amazed at this, O heavens. Be shocked and utterly dumbfounded, says the Lord. Do so because my people have committed a double wrong. They have rejected me, the fountain of life-giving water, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns which cannot even hold water. Wow, what an indictment by God upon his people. He says, first of all, they're trying to find their satisfaction, fulfillment, and gratification in life outside of me. So they reject me. They have become what James would call a spiritual adulterer, you see. We're going outside of our relationship with Christ to try to find fulfillment. And then God says, not only do they reject me, but then they try to find something else to fill that void. Because human beings, like nature, abhors a vacuum. And you and I, if we have this hole in our heart, if we have this vacuum in our soul and in our being, and it's not being filled, then we're going to try to find something else out there to fit there that fills that vacuum in our life. And so God says, they've rejected me, the fountain of living waters, and now they're digging their own cisterns, meaning they're going after these other things in their life, trying to find that satisfaction, fulfillment, and gratification in other ways. And the thing about cisterns, and the only reliable source of water in Jeremiah's day was the fresh spring, the fresh natural water. Cisterns were built to capture rainwater, and they got very brackish, and they were very stagnant, and the water never tasted good out of a cistern. But the water out of those fresh flowing streams always tasted good. And God, in a sense, is using that picture to say, You turned your back on this fresh spring that really tastes good and you're going after this brackish, stagnant water over here and you're drinking out of it. And you wouldn't have to if you found your satisfaction in me. You see, as a Christian, as James says by using the word adulterer back in James chapter 4, I have been married to Christ That's what the Bible teaches. That when I accept Christ as my Savior, it's like a picture of marriage between a husband and a wife. And when I become a Christian, I have been married to Christ. So in a sense, when I go outside of Christ to try to find my fulfillment and satisfaction and gratification in life, I'm basically becoming unfaithful to the only one who can truly satisfy me, and I'm trying to look for satisfaction and fulfillment in someone or something else. And that's why the Bible calls us spiritual adulterers. We're we're unfaithful to Christ. 
a question I had to ask myself is, am I now forsaking all others in order to be faithful to Christ? That's one of the things, as a pastor, I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies over the years. And usually somewhere in that wedding ceremony, I mention to both parties that not only are you coming together, committing yourself to one another, but also by standing here before God and these witnesses, you're also saying, I'm forsaking all others in order to make this work. Because if I allow someone else in this relationship, it's not going to last. And God is saying the same thing to you and I. In fact, to see that this is a theme throughout the New Testament... Go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament to chapter 11. I'm just going to pick it up here in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's a common theme throughout Scripture. Christ and my relationship with Him should be that relationship in which I have that void, that vacuum filled. Because according to the Bible... If Jesus isn't filling that vacuum in your life, you will find no one or nothing else out there in this universe that can fill it adequately but Jesus. And yet, Paul was even saying to the Corinthians, it it amazes me that so soon after you all were married to Christ and you came to Christ, now you're going after other lovers. And you're looking for fulfillment in other things that will never satisfy you to begin with. And, and notice he even put Satan back in the picture because isn't Satan the one that's always tempting us to be unfaithful to Christ? If he can't have our soul, if we come to Christ and, and we become a child of God and he can no longer knows he, he can't have our soul, the next best thing for Satan is to cause a Christian to become unfaithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go over with me then to 1 John, the book of 1 John, almost all the way to the back of the Bible, almost back to Revelation. 1 John, chapter 2, here's what John says, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, and the desire of the eyes, and the arrogance produced by material possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. See, God is simply saying that if we are unfaithful to Christ and try to find our satisfaction, fulfillment, and gratification in the things of the world, it's not going to happen. It simply will not happen. That's why James, in James chapter 4, 
talks in verse 4 about, don't you know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. He's not talking about making friends with people in the world. He's talking about looking at the world as the means of our fulfillment. That somehow there would be something that this passing world can offer us that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot. And somehow we think that, and we've been deceived into thinking that there's something here that Jesus Christ cannot give me. And yet again, these scriptures I read at the very beginning, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And if the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Paul said in Colossians 2.10, I'm complete in Jesus Christ. I need nothing or no one else to complete me, and neither do you. And so James is basically saying we can end the conflict. We can end the conflict when we understand and acknowledge that there is nothing out there in the world that can do what Jesus can do for me. And instead of looking to the world to satisfy me, I need to start looking to Jesus. And if I have legitimate needs, I need to present those needs to the Lord and allow Him to meet those needs instead of looking for some other one or something else to meet those needs in my life. In fact, if you go back to James chapter 4 for just a moment, and I just want to turn to one other passage of Scripture. Beginning and then verse four and, or verse 5 and verse 6 tonight, we're going to look at God's solution of how we can stay spiritually faithful to Him. Four things. God's solution to staying spiritually faithful. First, acknowledge the authority of Scripture in my life. Acknowledge the authority of Scripture. I mean, where I really come to believe that this isn't just the book. It is the Word of God. And it should have authority in my life. And when God speaks into my life, and He speaks truth into my life, it should mean something to me. And I should want to follow His Word and obey His Word. Notice what He says in verse 5. Do you think the Scripture means nothing when it says... And then He goes on to talk about the Spirit. He's simply saying, did God give us this Bible for nothing? No, he, he gave us his word so that it would have authority and power in our lives and so that we would line up our lives underneath of its authority. And if we're going to stay faithful to Christ, my friends, we've got to make this book more than just, again, for information, but for transformation. And we've got to allow this book to speak into our lives. And when we, our flesh, or the desires of the world, or the ways of the world are saying, no, 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 Jeff, you've got to go this way. And the Word of God is saying to me, no, Jeff, you go this way. That if the Word of God truly has authority in my life, and I really do believe it, then hopefully I will line my life underneath of that and do what God is asking me to do. Secondly... In verse 5, not only do I need to acknowledge the authority of Scripture, I need to yield my life continually to the Spirit of God. The Spirit that God caused to live within us, James says, has an envious yearning. And this is a difficult verse to translate and to interpret, but there's different ways to look at this verse. Some people think he's talking about the Spirit within us, the human spirit that, again, battles within us. But I look at this as the Spirit of God that God is giving us that prompts us and continually strives within our life to get us to go the way of God. That's, 
One of the main reasons why when we became a Christian, God gave us his spirit and allowed his spirit to come in and live inside of every believer so that we would have the conviction and, and prompting and, and all of that and teaching and leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And so if I acknowledge the authority of Scripture and I yield my life continually to the Spirit of God, I will remain faithful to God and not become spiritually unfaithful. Keep your finger there in James chapter 4. We're coming right back. But turn one last time to another passage to the book of Romans again, to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now drop down to verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Are we yielding to the flesh? Is our flesh having mastery over us? Or by the power of God that lives within us through the Spirit of God, are we yielding to the Spirit of God? If we do, folks, we can remain faithful to God. Then back to James chapter 4. The third way I can remain faithful to God is by accepting God's greater grace. Don't miss the beginning of chapter 4, verse 6. James says, God gives not just grace, He gives greater grace. Folks, that verse just about set me free. Because when you begin to meditate and study and think about what James is saying there, what God is saying there, that it's a life-transforming thing. Because what James is saying is no matter what I'm dealing with, God's grace is greater. That whatever the pull of the world is to pull me away from Christ and to cause me to be unfaithful, God will give every Christian a greater grace that fights against the pull of the world. Every pull of the flesh that pulls in my own flesh to pull me away from Christ and to cause me to be unfaithful, God will give me grace, greater grace, to reject and resist the pull of the flesh. And then there's the pull of the devil. There's the temptation of the devil. In fact, next week, we're going to get into verse 7, where he says about submitting to God and resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. And we've known that the devil is our spiritual adversary and enemy. And we looked at the verse last week, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be vigilant, be sober, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And yet, even though the devil himself tries to pull us away from Christ and cause us to be unfaithful, James here is saying in chapter 4, verse 6, God gives 
greater grace and that the grace that God gives us is greater than the pull of the devil himself, greater than the pull of the world, greater than the pull of the flesh, greater to deal with anything that I am dealing with in my life, in fact. It doesn't even have to be about being unfaithful. You're struggling with something right now in your life, you need to be reminded tonight, God will give you greater grace. Grace that is greater than that addiction. Grace that is greater than that struggling marriage. Grace that is greater than the anxiety and the depression that's gripping your soul right now. Greater than the anxiety of of this or that. Greater than your future. Greater than all of these things that we can allow to overcome our lives. James is saying through God, He will always give you and I a greater grace. Do we believe that tonight? And when you and I begin to tap into that grace and accept that grace, when God pours it into our lives, then we come to realize that His grace truly is sufficient. And that there is no power in the universe greater than the grace of God. That's why James says God gives us greater grace. And you just insert whatever you want in there. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever is your giant right now, whatever is is opposing you, whatever obstacle is in your life, you put it right there in James 4, 6, and you and I remind ourselves every day, but God gives greater grace to overcome whatever it is we need to overcome. And the final thing James says tonight to keep us spiritually faithful is to humble ourselves. Because notice he says at the very end of verse 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. To those who truly see and sense their need. Those who aren't trying to live life independently of God. Those who aren't trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Those who aren't trying to deal with these things on our own. But we have come to recognize and acknowledge there is a greater power And that's the one that we need to tap into. And when we acknowledge our need of God, the Bible says God will pour out all the grace that we need, but he won't pour it out to those who are proud. If he looks down from heaven and he sees Jeff Royce is saying, God, I'm going to handle this on my own. I don't need you. I'm going to deal with this. And God says, fine, because I'm not going to force my grace on you. But Jeff, at any point where you feel like it's too big for you and you want my help, I will be there to help and I will be there to give you that greater grace. And so one of the other key things is we need to constantly live in a state of humility. And even Christians sometimes misunderstand what humility is all about. Humility isn't about being negative about self. It isn't about putting myself down. It isn't about being condescending towards myself. Here's what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is actually having such a lofty, elevated view of God that nothing else in this universe could capture my focus but Him. That's what biblical humility is. You see, biblical humility is giving God His proper place, which then helps me to find my proper place. And when I lift God up, when I put Him in my mind and heart and life where He needs to be, elevated, lofty, high. When I give God His proper place, God will pour out His grace into my life. But it's that pride that will cut off the grace of God in my life. Because again, God won't force His grace on anyone who doesn't want it 
or feel that they need it. I don't know about you, but this passage was pretty convicting to me. I've been a Christian for 35 years, been a pastor for 25 years, and yet I have the same struggles and that same old nature and that same old flesh that all of us have. And there have been times in my life where Jeff Royce somehow thought, either through allowing Satan to deceive me or through my own flesh or through buying into the world philosophy, that somehow that there was someone else or something else that could bring total satisfaction and fulfillment and gratification to my life other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you tonight, I stand here tonight saying, I, I, I've got it down now, but that doesn't mean there might not come a time where I allow the allurement of the world or something else out there to turn my focus away from Christ. But I will share with you folks tonight that at least here and here, I know I want to make a commitment and a renewed commitment tonight to say, Jesus, I acknowledge before these hundreds of people here tonight in the mind that I hope I never live one day for the rest of my life thinking that somehow I can find fulfillment, gratification, and satisfaction apart from you. You are my life, Lord. You are what fills that vacuum and void. No one or nothing else can. We're going to sing about this amazing, great grace that God can pour out in our lives tonight. And so before Brian and the guys come back out, let's close in a word of prayer. God, I pray tonight that you would just stir our hearts. I mean, God, that you would just grab a hold of each of us and, and, Lord, that we would just be reminded that if we have Jesus, Jesus is all we need. And if we have something opposing us and, and it's an obstacle in our life, it's a giant in our life, it's something we're struggling with, God, remind us again that you give greater grace and all we have to do is humble ourselves before you. And you, Lord, you will pour out that greater grace in our lives that will allow us to say yes to you and no to whatever it is that's pulling us away from you. God, help us once again to be renewed tonight, to find in you the hundreds who are here tonight that only in Jesus can we ever be fulfilled. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen.